You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. to mold us and shape us and equip us and help us to become the kinds of men and women that God wants us to become. It's mostly through those extremely difficult times where we're forced into that place of having to draw closer to God and to rely completely upon the resources that he makes available to his people. Listen, none of this was accidental. None of what Job had gone through was accidental. God was in charge in each step of the way. Do you like to exercise? Why would you? It's strenuous, exhausting, and very sweaty. The reason we do it, though, is to become stronger. Nobody gets into shape from just sitting around. And the same can be said for our faith. In today's message, Pastor Mike explains that the majority of our growth as Christians comes from discomfort. Think of it like a sort of workout for your spirit. After all, What good are we to the kingdom of God if we simply fall apart at the first signs of difficulty? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 45 as he continues his message, The Bigger Picture. as we've been tracing the life of Joseph over these last couple of months. You know, Joseph never was in that funk where I'm not going to confess what's going on in my lives. I'm not going to confess that my brothers betrayed me. I'm not going to confess that I'm sitting here in this ditch that my brothers had just thrown me into. I'm not going to confess that, you know, these Midianite traders that are going down into Egypt to sell their uh, wares are going to take me and place me on the slave block and I'm going to be sold as, I'm not going to confess those things. You know, how crazy is that? You know, so many Christians, you know, bad things happen to them and they won't confess it. This can't possibly be happening to me. I'm a child of God. No, this is not some, you know, Christian with their heads in the clouds. I'm not going to confess what's really going on within my life. Joseph knew that he was unreasonably hated, that he was enslaved, that he was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, that he was wrongly imprisoned by Potiphar himself. Listen, this is the kind of stuff, think about it, if you don't have the right kind of perspective, that will absolutely wipe you out. Wipe you out. Because you know what? There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no heads or tails, right? 
You can't figure it out. It, you're just left to your circumstances. You know, God help us. You know, one of the chief blessings of being a child of God is that we're never left to our circumstances. We're never just another statistic. You know, what may be happening to other people who don't have that hope of being a child of God, you know, it, for them it's just a roll of the dice. It's just the luck of the draw, really. And, uh, but with Christ, there's always a purpose. And we need to have that perspective. It's so very, very important. And if we don't, those things will just wipe you out. They'll make you absolutely crazy. But let me also add that in this, although all of these evil things had come upon Joseph, Joseph never viewed them as God being the author of evil. Now, this is very important that we understand this. He did know that all of these things were working out a part of God's providence within his life, that God was using these things. But God was not the author of evil, nor can he be the author of evil. Rather, simply, God was in charge, even of the wicked designs and evil deeds of man, so that his purposes are accomplished and not theirs. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Probably the one of the most extreme examples of this is Job, who suffered many things certainly he didn't deserve. Think about it. He lost seven sons and three daughters who were wiped out when the house in which they were dining collapsed. Just in a moment, just totally wiped out, taken away from them. Could you imagine that for those of us who are parents? What a tragedy that would be. Seven sons and three daughters. The roof collapsed on them, and all of them perished in that collapse. On another occasion, all of his possessions were taken away from him. The desert raiders who carried away Job's oxen and sheep. The Babylonian Bandits, on another occasion, who stole away Job's camels. He himself was afflicted with great physical sickness. Remember, at another period, he was covered from head to toe with these boils and suffering greatly. At one point in the book of Job, we are told that he even regretted the day that he had been born. And in all this, he hadn't the slightest indication, think about this, that any of this was for a meaningful purpose or for good. In fact, his closest friends were counseling him, even his wife. Think about this. Man, you know, what a woman to be married to. She says, curse God and die. That's great counsel, man. You know, curse God. Why don't you just curse God and die, you know? Great counsel. What a great woman to be married to, right? Yet don't forget this story begins with the scene in heaven, showing that God was in charge of what was happening and was limiting what was happening to Job. You see, it was God who initiated Job's test by calling Satan's attention to Job's godly character. That's where it all began. In the book of Job, in chapter 1, in verse 8, and uh, let me give this to you in context. The Bible tells us that the sons of men were presenting themselves before God. And this is just another way to describe the angels. I don't know why exactly they're referred to as the son of men, but 
the angelical hosts on this particular occasion are presenting themselves before God. I don't know exactly what's going on, but they're having these conversations with God and, and uh, before the throne of God. And on this particular occasion, Lucifer happens to be one of those angelical hosts that's present. And so God saw fit to begin to brag upon his servant, Job. God, please, don't brag about me. <laughs> Not that there's much to brag about, but that was the thing that began this whole thing unfolding. So anyway, with that said, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now listen, this was God's estimation of Job. This wasn't Job bragging about himself, right? Or having some kind of a moment, you know, a feel-good moment or whatever, uh, a super-ego moment, if you will. This was God's estimation of his servant, Job, which would have been absolutely uh, true. So this is where this whole thing began to unfold. As God was calling uh, Satan's attention to Job's godly character. You see, in this story, we learn that God had a purpose in Job's suffering. And yes, it was an extreme example of this, but God was demonstrating to the devil and his hosts, but not only to them, but also to us. Think about it. God is demonstrating that love for God does exist apart from the benefits people get from the relationship with God, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. That was his testimony. That was, I mean, basically, that was Job's testimony. He, he never became angry with God. Yes, he, was he confused? Yeah, he was confused. But he never bailed out on God. He never cursed God, even after he was encouraged to do that by some of the people that were closest to him. What were the other things that God had accomplished through this? Well, that the invisible things are greater than the visible, that eternal things are more important than temporal things, that love is greater than selfishness. And God was also working in Job's life to bring about a marked growth in faith and maturing of character. Remember, we've already firmly established, as we've been considering the life of Joseph, how that God often frequently uses hard things, you know, to mold us and shape us and equip us and help us to become the kinds of men and women that God wants us to become. It's mostly through those extremely difficult times where we're forced into that place of having to draw closer to God and to rely completely upon the resources that he makes available to his people. Listen, none of this was accidental. None of what Job had gone through was accidental. God was in charge in each step of the way. And God permitted evil. And then he assumed the responsibility for it. But he was not the author of evil. You see, the reason bad things happen to good people is simply because God allows it. God decrees it. Joseph knew this and thus declared, let's go back to our text now in verse 8. What did he say? This is the bigger picture, folks. It was not you who sent me here. It wasn't because you, you had murderous intent in your heart, that you betrayed me, threw me into a pit, which ultimately led me down to Egypt, sold on the slave block. It was not you who sent me here, but rather God. 
Notice, what does it say there in verse 8? That was Joseph's testimony. He saw the bigger picture. The end was good beside the evil. All of the betrayal, all of which was evil. The betrayal, the lust by Potiphar's wife, the lying, the abandonment. And so it's always easier, think about this then, to bear something if you know that there's a good purpose in it. And listen, if you're a child of God, you have that hope. No matter what you're going through, there's a good purpose in it. you got to believe that. you got to hang on to it. You know, eventually it'll come around where you testify to that fact. It might not even be until you actually stand in the very presence of God. You know, I have a severely handicapped son. You, you guys know that. Special needs. Elijah. It's, it's hard. He's such a blessing. Let me tell you, the blessings in raising this child far outweighs the burden. But it's hard. And it's difficult. And there are times when, you know, Elijah's in a funk or going through a bad cycle or whatever, where I'm thinking to myself, you know, God, why did you, you know, why did you allow this to happen? It's just too much to bear. And, uh, and you know what? I'm probably not going to have the full answer to that question aside from, you know, having to use the resources that God has made available to me to get through those difficult times, like, for example, prayer. I wouldn't understand fully how important prayer is if I didn't have Elijah as my son. But you know what? I'm not going to fully understand or comprehend why God gave me a special needs son until I actually stand before Jesus and look into his face. And I'm going to be thankful. I'm not going to, like, shake my finger in his face and, you know, why'd you do that kind of thing? I'm going to, I'm going to be thankful because I'm going to realize in that moment that it was absolutely imperative that I have a special needs son, to get me to that final destination. And I'm going to thank God for it over and over and over again. Now, with you, you see, I'm just a hard nut to crack. And uh, you're probably a lot easier to work with than I would be, or that I am, with God. You can make it easy on yourself, or you can make it hard on yourself. And uh, God loves you that much, you know, that he'll use more stringent measures to bring you around to get you to that final destination, you see. But that's, that's the bigger picture. And we just need to rest and trust in that truth. God loves us that much. And so it's always easier to bear something if you know that there's a good purpose behind it. Gang, we need to see the bigger picture. Now, let's go back to Job for a moment. What's the good purpose in God doing what he did, all of these awful things that Job had experienced. Well, think about Job's legacy. Think about us even enjoying that legacy, as I've already suggested this morning. Since then, ministering to countless numbers of people as they've been studying the book of Job. All of the things that I cataloged just a moment ago, the things that God accomplished through Job's life. God was working in Job. God was working in Joseph. God is working in and through you this morning. You see, those who God wishes to exalt are often first abased. I don't know why that is, but sometimes that's what's necessary. What's necessary. Often there is this humbling that must come before greatness. And you know what? How do you estimate greatness? I mean, you know, do you estimate greatness in numbers or the amounts of people that you 
have the opportunity to share the gospel with or, you know, just within your sphere of influence? You know, how does God determine greatness? Will Billy Graham be, receive a greater reward for the way that God used him uh, than my wife who raised five children in her own home? I don't think so. You know, because God uh, estimates greatness in the ways that men don't estimate greatness. It's not all about number. It's just being about faithful. It's just all about being faithful, what God has called us to. But let me give you an extreme example of this. How about Moses? Moses, for 40 years, before he was actually commissioned by God out of that burning, fiery bush, for 40 years he was laboring in obscurity on the backside of the desert. His congregation and flock were a bunch of sheep, right? Before he was actually called uh, by God, commissioned by God, to go back to Egypt, stand before Pharaoh, and demand that he let God's people go. 40 years. But it was in those 40 years that he developed the character that was necessary for greatness. Think about that. That's how long it took. 40 years. 40 years on the backside of the desert, and then 40 years, right? He was about 80 years old when God uh, commissioned him and, and began to use him uh, as his instrument to uh, take his people out of uh, Egypt, uh, a part of the Exodus. But also consider this. God saved the lives of Joseph's family through this work, the severe famine. They would have died if God had not sent Joseph ahead of the others. But Joseph knew this. He even testifies to this in verse 7 of our text. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. To save their lives. They would have died during that seven years of famine. Now, remember this. When you go through difficult times, you see they may be the means of saving you and others from an even greater disaster. Now, one last thing. As Joseph was able to see God's hand in all of this, he was also able to forgive his brothers easily. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse, in his commentary, um, referring to this particular point, said, and I quote, To see God in all things, both good and evil, enables us to forgive easily those who injure us. It does not incline us to condone their fault as if they were unconscious instruments impelled by him who made use of them, for they act as freely as if God had no part at all. But we can pity, we can forgive and pray for them as slaves to their own passions, enemies to their own welfare, and real, though unwitting, benefactors to our souls. This is strongly exemplified in Joseph, for he saw the hand of God overruling the designs of his brothers. And from that consideration, he not only readily forgave them, but entreated them not to be grieved or angry with themselves, since whatever had been their intentions, God had used their misdeeds to accomplish his own gracious purposes. Worship team, come on back up. Listen, here's the question. Let me end with this. Do you have trouble right now forgiving someone who has deeply wronged you? 
I suppose that many of you do. I know that there's, you know, I got to tell you something. I was really upset when our lease was pulled when we were on 56th Street at City Center for like 34 years. And if I wasn't a Christian, I would have, well, I shouldn't even mention that. But I was very upset and particularly upset about this one individual who worked at City Center. And, uh, but you know what? The thing that kept me from doing anything, what I, I could see the newspaper headline, pastor beats up or kills or shoots or, well, anyway, even until this day, I'm very upset about it. 34 years. And we were a victim, really. There was no reason whatsoever whereby they pulled our lease. They actually lied. And they told us, well, I don't, again, I don't want to get into it. But it's still with me. You can tell, right? I'm angry. Down deep inside, I'm still angry about this. And, uh, and boy, I tell you something. But you know what? I, I see the hand of God in all of this, bringing us here to this place and not having to deal with that guy. Although there's, you know, our, us being here, uh, we have a, another series of issues that we have to deal with, you know, with sharing with the other people on the same floor, and, and there's still someone, you know, this is not our own facility. And uh, so there are things that we still have to deal with and stuff. But this is so much better than it was even at City Center, where they just pull, you know, at, you know, we'd, we'd show up like on a Thursday night. We wouldn't even have the facility that we had already paid for. And we'd have to like, you know, dr drive everybody crazy. We'd have to sit up in another location or, you know, sometimes we had to cancel our service. And the poor people sitting up, thank God we no one have to sit up chairs anymore. We did that for 34 years, man, right? And uh, so, you know, the bigger picture is, you know, we got the shaft. They lied about, to us. But here we are in this facility. Not the perfect facility, but certainly it's a lot better. But it's a part of the bigger picture. God had a plan. At the time, I was really angry, man. I wanted to grab someone by the throat and strangle them at the time. And uh, talk to Pastor Jose. I don't know how many times I've had that conversation where he had to calm me down. But uh, So, again, let me ask you the question. Do you have trouble forgiving someone who has deeply wronged you? Do you tense up in anger when you think about them, yes, guilty, well, think of the wrong as a part of God's providence. See his hand in it. Think of the good he will accomplish. Listen, if you have that perspective, your anger will soften. Listen, remember this. If you haven't heard anything that I've said this morning, please leave here with this thought. God is in charge of all of the events of our lives. Notice in verses 5 through 9. Learn the lessons. Sometime during the week, go over this text of Scripture. Learn these lessons that are contained within verses 5 through 9, and therefore, let's benefit from them. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, 
we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here, with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts, that's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time, here, in my Father's house. <laughs>